just give it up for all of our volunteers across every campus? Man, we really praise God for those who serve in this church and who volunteer. You really are making a difference. And in case you, if you haven't heard it yet, if you haven't gotten the hint, if you're currently serving in this church, man, we want you to come to the volunteer kickoff tonight at 4 p.m. Again, whether you're at Fredericksburg, whether you're watching online today or right here in this room at Stafford, we want you to come. We're going to feed you some food. Uh, we're going to give you a T-shirt, and you're going to get to be the first people to hear from the pastor search team as we look to bring on the next senior pastor here at the Mount. But it's going to be a great night in the life of our church. So don't let any rain or any traffic on I-95 stop you from being here. Or even if you're just thinking about serving and you've been waiting, consider this your sign from the Lord that it's time to get involved here at the Mount. And so be here tonight at 4 p.m. to be a part of the volunteer kickoff. Hey, well, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at the Mount. Good morning to you, church. Uh, good morning to you guys right here at Stafford. Of course, Fredericksburg campus down there with Pastor Caleb. And then those of you who are watching online. Have you ever tried to build something and it didn't work out the way that you intended? Maybe you had tried to build something and that project and you maybe even got near the end and you realized that something was off center, it was off balance, or it was just simply out of the right place. Have you ever tried to build something and it just didn't work out the way that you thought it was going to go? My kids have been, especially my sons, have been really into Legos in this past season. And in fact, my oldest son, he really loves Legos, and uh, for his fifth birthday, right around that time, we got him uh, this Lego set, uh, the Royal Talon from the movie Black Panther. Come on, Wakanda forever. And so with this Lego set, 358 pieces. And if you notice, the recommended age range is from 7 to 14 to put together this Lego set. At the time, my son Noah, his, he was age 5, and I was age 38. So we're both outside of the recommended age range to put this Lego set together. 358 pieces took us a while. And I don't, I don't know what was going on with me that day. Maybe I was having some seizures behind the scenes, but I kept putting things in the wrong place. I kept putting the Lego pieces at the wrong angle, kept having to take things apart, kept having to back up in the instruction manual. And then after several hours of prayer and then working through and taking apart and putting it back together again, we finally got that thing together. My son Noah played with it for a couple of weeks. And after a couple of weeks, I came home from work one day and he had taken the whole thing apart. And he said, Daddy, do you want to put this thing back together again? <laughs> Guys, I almost cussed out a five-year-old. I said, no, <laughs> it is what it is. But do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever tried to put something together, build something, and it just didn't work out the way you thought? Maybe it was that IKEA furniture that you realized you needed an engineering degree to be able to complete that thing. Uh, maybe it was that weekend project. You went into it, you're going to finish that basement, we're going to be like Chip and Joanna Gaines. But halfway through, you realize you're more like Marge and Homer Simpson trying to put that thing together. In fact, it's been a year, and you're still not done yet with that basement, and you haven't completed the project. How many of you know, I know like we have maybe at Fredericksburg or here at Stafford or online, I know we have great contractors out there who you love building things. It's part of your wheelhouse. You enjoy it. But the rest of us, how many of you know that sometimes those projects that you step into when you're looking to build something ends up costing you way more money, way more time, 
and even way more emotional drain than you ever anticipated. But how many of you also know that if you were trying to build something and you do cross the finish line, and maybe it was something that someone really wanted or they really needed, and when you completed building that project, you realize that all the blood, sweat, and tears were worth it. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been trying to build something. And for 2,000 years, people have been trying to throw it off course. They've been trying to destroy it. They've been trying to throw it off center. But see, the good news is that Jesus said, look, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, God is building something, but it's not a building. And despite the reports you may see on the news or the rumors that you've heard that the church is dead or dying, Jesus said, look, I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to build my church and not even the gates of hell are going to stop me from doing it. He says, I am going to build this church, but it's not the metal and the mortar and the brick and mortar places that we often think of. In fact, I know we go to church. I know you go to the Fredericksburg campus. I know you go to the Stafford campus, but it's not the place that we go. In fact, how many know that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are the church? And what God is building is you. And even in this season, God wants to build you. See, the church is more than just a building. The church is what God is building. And he's building something that can withstand the toughest of trials, the strongest of storms, any currents of culture. And God wants to build his church on this firm foundation of prayer and authenticity and courage and blessing and community so that no insecurities, no inadequacies are going to lead his church. But instead, it's going to be led by his power, by his promises, and by who he is. And this fall at the Mount, God wants to build from the foundation up a faithfulness in you, a faithfulness in your family. And a faithfulness even in your future that even when it is tested, it will not be shaken. In fact, I want you to notice that this series is not called Build My Church. It's called Build Your Church. Because we want to make this a declaration from our hearts and from our lives in this season. We want to say, God, build your church. God, build us into what you want us to be. We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount at the Mount in this next series over the next couple of weeks. And as Jesus gives everyone here listening to the Sermon on the Mount keys to building a life full of faith and a heart founded firmly on Christ. He doesn't give like these five helpful tips on how to live your life, but instead he gives these powerful principles that will help build our lives to withstand any current of culture that will come across our way. And today's part one in the series, and it's titled, You Get the Keys. In fact, go and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount begins. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of the longest recorded sermons of Jesus in all of Scripture. He literally gets on a mountainside, and he begins to teach this crowd of people, but also his disciples are right around them. 
And he's teaching them how to live. See, the religious leaders back then, they they kept trying to teach people how to live their faith void of an actual relationship with their heavenly father. The religious leaders back in the first century were trying to teach them how to live their faith void of actually loving their neighbor. So Jesus drops the Sermon on the Mount on them to show people that what God really wants is this heartfelt obedience. This heartfelt obedience to follow him and to trust him in every single season. And he gives all these principles that help people build their lives on something so much stronger that they can find outside of him. And today we're going to see as we start this section on the Sermon on the Mount, man, Jesus is already establishing who he is to that first century. In fact, if you read just a little bit before in Matthew chapter 5, he had gone around to all these areas and he had already turned water into wine. He had already began to gather his disciples. He had already done all these miracles, healing all these people, and already began to preach the gospel, the good news about who he was. In fact, there was a crowd that began to follow him. Now, I know sometimes maybe when we read this, when we read the word crowd, we may have a picture in our mind kind of like this, where it's maybe just a few people sitting around Jesus with some pie plates behind their heads. But really, it was more like this. In fact, more than likely, there were several hundred, if not several thousand people who had begun to follow Jesus. In fact, because he was doing all these things, going to see Jesus, it it was like getting tickets to the Super Bowl. It was like going to see the Olympics. Because of all what he was doing, people wanted to see what in the world he was going to do next. He was literally attracting people from all over. In fact, if you read Matthew chapter 4, just right before this, Matthew records that 10 different cities, people from 10 different cities were following Jesus to see what in the world he was going to do next. In fact, what he was doing was countercultural, but it was also undeniable. What he was doing was re- people wanted to see, look, is this what I really need to build my life on? So here's the scene for the Sermon on the Mount. This massive crowd of people around him on this mountainside, and he was preaching to the crowd, but also right there around him were his disciples that he had began to call. So we're going to begin right here in this Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read just the first two verses in Matthew chapter 5. Then we're going to jump to Matthew 16 and see all these things, set the foundation for what it is God wants to build in us in this season. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, follow along in your Bible or follow along on the screen. Matthew says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. You know, one of the ways that Jesus builds us is simply this, is that he sees us. Jesus sees you. I love how Matthew just simply records, he said, look, Jesus saw the crowds. He saw them out in this audience. If not several hundred, if not several thousand people, he saw the crowds. Have you ever been to a place where there was someone really, really famous in the room? I'm talking about really famous. Maybe you went to a concert and that band or that superstar singer came out and everyone in the crowd, in the arena, in the stadium, they were focused on that band, that superstar singer. Or maybe you were in the room with some sort of dignitary, 
a well-known politician or well-known leader, and all the attention in the room, they were on that person. Or maybe even went to some sporting event, that superstar athlete came out, and then every single person was cheering for them, chanting their name, hoping that they would lead their team to victory. A few years ago, I had a chance to go to a Washington Wizards game, and at the time, John Wall was that superstar athlete playing for the Washington Wizards. And as I sat way up in the Verizon Center, as I was looking down at John Wall, my people were cheering for him, and he was doing his thing, you know, running up and down the court, uh, trying to make as many baskets as possible, free throws, layups, trying to lead his team to victory. Now, for many of you guys, many of you guys know that I don't follow sports really that well, but I knew a little bit about John Wall. I knew that he came from UK. I knew he was a Washington wizard. And I know he was this, this like, well-known athlete that people thought he was going to be the next Michael Jordan or LeBron James, depending on where you fall in that debate. But as I was watching John Wall do his thing, I started to think, you know what? I bet you John Wall, as I was sitting in this crowd of seven, several thousand people, I bet you he has no idea who I am. In fact, even though I knew some things about him, I started to think, you know what, I bet you he doesn't know that I'm in the process of trying to adopt a little girl from India. I bet you he didn't know that at least at that time I'd been married married to my wife, Anna, for 11 years. He didn't know I was a pastor at a church, uh, serving at a church in this area. He didn't know any of my struggles, the things that I'd wrestle with, whether it was overeating or fear or anxiety. He didn't know any of those things. In fact, I believe that John Wall didn't have any idea that I was even there. That's not the way it is with Jesus. When Matthew records here that he saw the crowds, in the original language, it, it does carry with this idea that, look, he, he looked out on the crowd and he saw them. Just like I'm looking out at Stafford I can't see you, Fredericksburg, or online, but I'm looking out at Stafford, and I can see the crowd that's gathered here today. But that word saw in the original language also carries with it this idea that Jesus didn't just see them physically, but it also means that he could see them internally. It means that he knew them. He knew things about them. He knew what they had been through, what they were going through, and then what they would go through. In fact, did you know that right now on earth there are 7,665,957,369 people in the world right now here on earth? And out of that almost 8 billion people on this planet, Jesus sees the one. And right now at our crowds right here at this church, even though you may feel like you're a part of the crowd, man, Jesus sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you need. He knows that maybe before you stepped onto either one of our campuses today that you were just having a fight with your family in the car. And even as you stepped out, you tried to hide it like everything was okay, but he knew that that was going on. He knew that you maybe needed a minute to fix your mascara because you feel like you're reaching the end of your rope and nobody else cares about you. No one else sees you. He sees you. He knows right now that you need a job. He knows right now you got some bills to pay. You don't know where the next check is going to come from. He knows right now that you've been praying some things and begging him for an answer. He knows you. 
He knows that maybe that sin that you thought you were finally done with, that you laid down, that you thought you were, it was, you were over it and you're never going to pick it up again. He knows last week you found yourself wrestling with that same sin again. And he knows the struggle you have trying to overcome that thing and to leave it behind. He knows who you are. He knows what you're wrestling with. He sees you. In fact, I really do believe, you know, if most people even knew half of the thoughts that went through our mind, they won't have nothing to do with us. If most people even knew the burdens that we're carrying, they will want to move away from us as quickly as possible. But not with Jesus. He sees, out of everyone in the crowd, he sees the one. And he knows every single thing that you're going through, and he doesn't run away. In fact, he wants to be close. He wants to be closer than he ever has, even in this season. And he sees everything that you're going through. But not only does he see you, one of the things that he uses to build us that he wants to remind us that he also wants to sit with you. Jesus wants to sit with you. So Matthew records that Jesus gets up on this mountainside and said, look, he saw the crowds. Yes, he did see them physically, but he also knew what was going on in their lives. But it says he went up on the mountainside and he sat down, and then it says that he began to teach them. Now, when Jesus actually sits down here, what it actually means is that it represents his authority. Back then in the first century, when a a leader, a teacher, a rabbi, a preacher, when someone would go to teach the crowd that was around them, they would actually sit down. And when they sat down, it represented they had the authority to speak into the lives of the crowd that was around them. And so even though it's kind of the opposite right now in our current church culture where most of the times, like the, the preacher, the pastor, whoever it is, like they stand up and everyone else sits down. Back then in the first century, when a rabbi, a teacher, a leader, when they sat down, it's, you, you were acknowledging that they had the authority to speak into your life. And so when Jesus sits down in this moment, it was a reminder to that whole crowd and his disciples that this wasn't just some other dude just gathering people on the mountainside. This was the son of God who knew everything that these people were going through and every single thing that they needed. And it represented that he had the authority to speak into every single area of their lives. Not some area of their life, but every single area. And there's something so powerful that happens, church, when we decide to to submit ourselves, to sit under the authority of Jesus. Something happens when we decide to, to to, to look at our lives and to submit our lives to him. It's kind of like what the author of Proverbs wrote in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, where he says, look, in our hearts, in their hearts, humans plan their course, which means we can make plans for our lives. We can make choices in our lives, but at the end of the day, we submit under the authority of God because he is the one who establishes our steps. It's like what the author of Proverbs also wrote in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where he says, look, trust in the Lord, not in yourselves, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him. Submit yourselves to his authority, and he will make your path straight. 
It's like what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't submit to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, submitting to the authority and the power and the grace of God. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's kind of like what Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And this is one of those verses that oftentimes you will find on the cover of a journal or somebody will share with you. And if you're, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you probably even heard this verse mentioned on some level because you often will find it on a T-shirt like Pastor Jason talked about last week or find it on a bumper sticker. And Jeremiah wrote, look, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And see, you can read that and be like, yes, it is good to know that God does have a purpose and a plan for my life. It is good to know that he wants to prosper me and he wants to do good things in my life. That is so good to know. But you want to know something? Oftentimes we try to figure, okay, what's that purpose? What's that plan? What does it look like? The next verse is Jeremiah actually reveals that God says exactly what those things are. Listen to Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13, where Jeremiah writes, Look, then, okay, after I, I tell you that you have these plans, I have these plans for your life, not to harm me, to give you a hope and a future, but then you will call on me and come and pray to me, says the Lord, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me, And when you seek me with all of your heart, it's just another reminder that life is best lived when we decide to submit our lives to the authority and to sit under the teachings of God, sit under the teachings of Jesus. Church, are you letting Jesus be the authority in every single area of your life? Are you letting him be the authority when it comes to your identity? Are you letting him be the authority when it comes to your, your sexuality? Are you letting him be the, your, your authority when it comes to your finances, even your very culture? I had a friend who recently told me that he had somebody working for him who was of German descent. And for whatever reason, this person, as he was working for him, was always kind of resistant to his leadership, always kind of giving him some pushback. And I was talking with my friend, and my friend is a Christian, and the person that was working for him is also a Christian. And he said that, that he was like, because he's German, you know, I understand, like, that's kind of the way their culture is. And I said, wait a minute. First of all, you know, let's, let's be careful when we paint one culture with a broad brush. But also, when it comes to it, culture never supersedes Christ in us. We should never let our culture overtake our Christ. And when it comes right down to it, in every single area of our lives, man, Jesus needs to be the authority. So are we letting him be that authority? Because he does want to be close. He does know everything that you're going through. But he, he will sit down with you. He wants to be close to you, but he doesn't want any seat in your life. He wants that seat of authority. In fact, Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's the one driving this thing. Last way that Jesus builds us is that he wants to give you the keys. He wants to give you the keys. You know, the Sermon on the Mount shows us how God wants to build this relationship with us. 
And it isn't this, well, I, I, I kind of want to follow God. It's this, yes, I, I see that Jesus sees me, and despite my sin and despite my brokenness, I know that he wants to, to build my life. And if I sit under his authority, look, he wants to have me be a part of what he's doing. He is the Lord and leader of my life. In fact, I think it's so interesting in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where it says, look, there was this crowd around Jesus, but also his disciples were right around him. And it's like the crowd was there, and the crowd was listening to the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, but his disciples, they were leaning in. The crowd thought all these words were cute, but his disciples saw his words as a calling, They saw his words as a calling that would help build their future, build their family, that they would be able to love the Lord their God with all their strength, heart, and soul, that they would be able to love their neighbor as themselves, that they would let this calling that he was placing on their lives lead them and guide them to live their lives to the full. And when you fast forward a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 16, we see an even bigger picture of what Jesus is trying to build in his church, what he's trying to build in us. Listen to the words again that Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 18 through 19. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, on this rock, where Jesus said on this rock, is actually a reference to this declaration that Peter made just a couple verses before, where Jesus asked the apostle Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this, he makes this declaration, and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. You are the one who's been predicted and prophesied that will come and redeem and recover what was broken. And Jesus said, look, on that declaration, on that rock, the good news of the gospel, he says, I'm going to build this church. I'm going to call and build people to follow me. But he says, not only that, he says, look, I'm going to give them the keys to the kingdom. And see, again, like the religious leaders back then, they thought they had the keys. They thought they were the ones who could keep people from coming in and out of God's family. But Jesus said, no, when you follow, when you build your life on the rock, this declaration of who he is, that he came and he died and he bodily rose again from the dead, when you build your life on that faith, he says, look, I am also going to give you the keys, the keys to keep sharing this good news with people, this key, the keys to drive the mission of the kingdom further and faster. You know, we are not saved by good works. But we are saved to do good works. And what Jesus was telling the people here, look, I want to give you these keys. In fact, when you take these keys, he says, you're going to operate in this heavenly authority driven by the Spirit. And you can literally bind things and loose things. And all that is is a reference to saying, you know what, we're going to operate on the authority of Christ. And we're going to let him be the one that literally drives our lives. You get the keys. There are four ways here at the Mount. We are on a mission to be four one more. And here at this church, there are four keys that we often encourage the church to lean into so that we can help drive forward the mission of Christ. And one of those keys is invite. Man, we know that what God has done for us is not just for us. 
And we want to keep sharing the gospel, keep sharing that declaration that Jesus loves people, that he died on the cross for their sin, that he bodily rose from the dead so he can begin to recover and redeem what was broken. We want to invite people into that and share the good news with people, but we also want to invite them right here in this space to experience the life-changing love of Christ. But we also do it through gathering. We want to gather We want to gather together on Sunday mornings as one church, as we sing these songs of praise, as we receive hopefully the hope for our week, the challenge to keep doing the things that God calls us to do. We want to gather together corporately as a church, but we also want to gather together in small groups. We want to gather together in smaller communities to keep growing and knowing God's principles and experiencing his power and keep growing into a deeper relationship with him together. But we also want to give. Because he gave, we give. In fact, your giving fuels the mission of the mount to keep being for one more, to reach even more people who are far from God. But also one more key that we often ask people to lean into, one more key that we give people to take is to volunteer. Our volunteers really do make a difference. And we send out volunteers literally all around the world on mission trips, but we also have volunteers right here on Sunday mornings who make a difference inside this space. And when you volunteer here, this isn't busy work, but you're literally taking the keys and you're driving for the mission, what God has called us to do to keep reaching more and more people. Many of you know that 21 years ago, I gave my life to Christ and surrendered to him. And after surrendering to Jesus, after he became the Lord and leader of my life, so many things started to change. In fact, I can remember that the Bible literally became alive. I remember reading, it's like the words were jumping off of the page. I remember I would try to share Christ with people who were working with me at Circuit City. I would 